Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Please consider supporting Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. You can learn more about them at bwunited.ca. They are always looking for donations and volunteers. So please, again, support Black Women United YEG for the protection and advancement of black women and girls in Alberta. Again, that website is bwunited.ca. Hey, this is Nicole calling from Hamilton, and I needed to let everyone know that I really proudly support Beach and Creative Control. I have for many years, I will for many more, as long as he keeps delivering these amazing interview podcasts. When you hear one of Beach's interviews, you think he's known this guest for years, they're good friends, uh, but the truth is he approaches every interview, whether it's sort of up-and-coming indie artists or established icons or like famous intimidating comedians with Uh, a really deep, genuine curiosity, so he's never met this person, and the same really warm uh, candor, so he's known them forever. I think it really lends to a great chat, no matter who he's talking to, and for that reason, I think you should throw Vish, like what, a dollar a month? He's got jokes. The jokes make it worth it. Support Creative Control on Patreon. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash Control today. I'm Visha's wife, and remember, when you name a dog Janet or Timothy, you are dragging humanity down just a little bit. Daniel Monkman is a musician and songwriter currently based in Toronto, Ontario. Originally from a small town called Selkirk, Manitoba, which is just outside of Winnipeg, Monkman moved to Ontario to tend to a music career once his recordings began to resonate beyond his home province. Now working under the name Zun Gadiawin, an Ojibwe word he has shortened to Zun, Monkman's latest album made it to the shortlist of 10 records vying to win the 2021 Polaris Music Prize. The record is called Bleached Waves. It's out now via Paperbag Records, and it prompted Daniel and I to have a chat about his move to Toronto from Hamilton, Ontario, how he came to fall in love with noise rock, shoegaze, and orchestral pop music, his history with 
drug addiction, rehabilitation, and how music saved his life, his indigenous heritage, ancestry, and how both shape him as an artist in Canada, living up to his name, future plans with Owen Pallett and members of Broken Social Scene, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners like you, who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it, and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash Control. Plus in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is the 635th episode of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Daniel Monkman of Zune, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Daniel. How you doing? Hi, Vish. I'm doing great. How about yourself? Oh, I'm not so bad. Uh, not so bad. Thanks for asking. Where in the world are you today? I'm in Toronto, Ontario right now. Now, that is not... Is that where you live or no? I had heard you'd, uh, you mostly live in uh, Hamilton. Is that right? Um, no, I haven't lived in Hamilton in over a year, but all my press, for some reason still says Hamilton and I've had it changed many times but for whatever reason anytime there's a new piece written about me it always says Hamilton well I will say uh, I should admit to you that uh, this is more or less your appearance on this show is more or less a census exercise so you are living in Toronto now uh, I think yes. Hamilton, people like talking about Hamilton. It's it's a little scrappier. You seem more like an underdog if they support an artist. If they support an artist from Hamilton, it doesn't just like it's not so Toronto centric, you know? So I think that's where of course where, where that comes from. Did you like living in Hamilton? I loved it. I loved it. The reason why I moved is because it was just very expensive. Mm. And before before it used to be really cheap, but yeah, just got really expensive. And I was looking at the prices between Toronto and uh, Hamilton, and I was like, "Well, they're both the same, basically." So, oh, that's true. And, that's true. People will live yeah. in Hamilton as an alternative to Toronto because Toronto is so expensive. What you're saying is yeah. Hamilton is leveling up, and it's just yeah. as, so it's basically just as expensive as Toronto, just basically the same. Yeah, and there's just like. The community has kind of like sprawled out. People have moved because of the because co- of COVID. So like the group of friends that I had had all kind of gone. And, and I was just like, well, you know, I know a lot of people in Toronto and then there's more people. Yeah, just close to the label and my management so I can have meetings with them anytime. Yeah, sure. So just it's nicer. Yeah, absolutely. OK, did you hey, by uh, not to promote a, uh, a sponsor of my of my show. Did you ever go to Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton? Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> I, I, that, that's one of your sponsors? They, they are an in-kind sponsor. In exchange for uh, the odd box of donuts, I mentioned them. Uh, and of course, I, I don't know if you know this, I used to live in Ontario, uh, in Guelph. And oh, yes. Now I live in Ed- now I live in Edmonton. So I. Uh, oh, yes. I was just in Edmonton last weekend. Oh, you were? Oh, right for that thing. I didn't get to go to that thing. I was on, I forgot about that thing. It was the Uptown... What was it called? Uptown, downtown? No, that's not right, is it? No, it was Fringe. Oh, it was for the Fringe Fest. Oh, shoot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, Daniel, I at it. Daniel, why did you not message me? We could have seen each uh, other in person. I know. I, 
I honestly, I thought you were uh, away. That's why you couldn't do the. the oh, that's true. Uh, yeah, I yeah. was on vacation. I was on vacation, but we were mostly around. We only went to the beach a few oh, times. Oh no! Yeah, I was no, there for a couple of days. It's my fault for not knowing what's going on. I'm also still. I'm just on the cusp of like going out into the world finally. So, of, uh, of just too. trying to keep my family safe. There, my children aren't vaccinated, and I'm not. Sure oh if, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm still sheepish and skittish, but I would have I would have come to see you. I think because uh, you seem it, like a ni- you seem like a nice person. I admire your work. Is where where I'm coming oh, from. Thank you. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. It was it was a good night. It was very chill. It was at a bar called the Aviary. Oh yeah, I've heard of this. I haven't been yet, but I've heard about it. Yeah. We held tickets so people could hike social distance and. Yeah, it was it was it was one of the better nights. Now, what for was sure. it, for the Fringe Fest? Uh, it's not necessarily a music centric festival. What what did you do at the Fringe Fest? I don't exactly know. I just I got asked to play at this <laughs> this venue, and and then later on, I like after the show, actually, I found out that it was part of the Fringe. I was like, oh, it's like Fringe is happening right now. And then someone's like, oh yeah, that last night was part of Fringe. I was like, what? Oh, so you just like, played? Uh, you played what for you would be like a normal show? Yeah, it was kind of like a noise experiment show. So, oh okay, it was uh, yeah, it was a little bit different than my normal set. My normal set is like a lot louder and stuff like this. But I've been kind of going into this new direction to just like yeah, just sound experimentation and ambience. Still the same songs, but I just restructured things a bit. What what prompted the uh, noise exploration? just my new record and I've been doing a lot of film scores so I just kind of like been you know I, I started off as like an ambient artist and experimental and then I and then I and then I got into Beach Boys and I started learning about pop music and and then my life kind of changed like the way that I write songs but this past uh, COVID year I've been working a lot on film so I've, I've just been loving ambience and yeah so I just decided to to kind of change it up and show new songs because this new record that I'm putting out is it is a little bit more like film scorey. There's some oh, pop music in it, but but there's a lot more atmospheric and yeah. I think for those of us who have heard your uh, you know this breakthrough record, I suppose it's your it's your debut, right? Bleached Waves is a debut. Is that fair? Yeah, I would say so. It's my first release. Yeah, in ten years. Right in ten years. Right. So for those of us who have heard that. Uh, and I think it, the profile, your profile is, is quite high at the moment. So there's a lot more people that will know what I'm talking about. Of course, uh, the mm-hmm. album's been out. Uh, it came out in 2022, right? Is that right? Sorry, 2020, yeah. not 2022. It came out yeah. <laughs> in 2020. Yeah, that's right. So it's been out a while. It's been circulating. All I was getting at there is for those of us who have heard that record, it's noisy. It's sound collage yeah. in itself. Your voice mm-hmm. is employed as a kind of instrument almost in itself, uh, almost a, tex- yep, a texture. Totally. So it just seems to me that you maybe were already in that zone. Do you know where I'm coming from there? Oh, totally, totally. Like, yeah, the, there's the, the the instrumental parts of the record. They they turn more of a structure when I put a drum beat into them mm-hmm. and added tambourine. But for the most part, if those weren't there, it was just like noises, these loops that I created. And then you know chopped up and reversed and but very much so my dream is just to make like an ambient album where I don't even have to sing mm. and parts of Bleached Waves was me exploring that like uh, the track um, 
a perfect sunset ahead where it's just like with these weird looped uh, slide riffs that kind of sound like maybe like string instruments. I see. But no, but just very abstract. Some artists in the musical realm find songwriting, lyric, lyric writing, uh, to be sort of therapeutic and then actually employing their voice to, you know, wrap their voice around the words, so to speak. You know, that can be a form of catharsis as well. Uh, yep. And others find that catharsis from just playing a guitar really loud. Uh, well, what is your... Yeah. I, I gather, from what I understand, and I hope we get into it, making music for you has been more or less life-saving on some level. It has been life-affirming yeah. as well. Can you talk about the relationship between the lyric writing as a form of expression and if you... if you, I don't know if you agree with me that for you it's been a form of catharsis or it's been therapeutic in any way, but can you talk about the relationship between expressing yourself musically lyrically and vocally and how those three things you know work together to help you just as a person if you will yeah so i would say from a very young age um you know just from traumas and stuff like that i i didn't really have a voice of my own and i i mostly just kept quiet and tried to like just be unnoticeable but, you know, like the rage and the anger and the angst is always like kept inside. But I always tried my hardest to keep it in, you know, just so, so you know, white people would feel safe, you know, around me. Because I felt like, you know, this whole like noble savage thing was like really prominent in my community that I grew up in, Selkirk, Manitoba. Yeah. And so at an early age, I never really said all that much. I never really did all that much. And it wasn't until I was about 15 years old, I, I started to get into music. And my family played bluegrass music on the res, and I really enjoyed that. And But I always just knew that that's, bluegrass wasn't something that I wanted to do. It just never really connected with me at that age. And it wasn't until I was getting into, yeah, Beach Boys and, and Beck is when I really discovered, oh, this music thing, like, I can do whatever I want. I don't necessarily have to be classically trained yeah. or go to school for it. I can just like write music. And when I when, when that finally clicked in my mind, I just found all this freedom of expression through music. And and with that I realized that I did have a voice and I could sing and I and with lyrics I was like, "Oh, you know what? I can write about my life, my personal life. That's what I'll write about." And through that, I started to discover who I was and 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 just like my purpose. And I started putting out records as soon as as soon as I started writing music, I started writing albums. And I must have put out like four different albums between the age of fifteen to nineteen. Wow, things weren't very that serious, you know. One of the first album that I put out underneath the name Blisters, to my surprise, I didn't even know, but a friend of mine took a copy of it and took and brought it to the uh, U of M in Manitoba in Winnipeg sorry and and put it into the uh, radio st department and it started charting and I had no idea that it was I was just like living in the country and until one day I was just on the internet and someone was like oh Daniel like you know that what's the name of your first album and I was like well it's called Gloves and they're like dude I think you're charting right now on the charts it's it's weird I was like what and then I looked at it and I was like wow people are actually listening to my music this, this weird stuff that I'm putting out 
and like and then from there i just i discovered that i was able to fully express myself the way that i feel comfortable through music and and now you know stepping away for 10 years to kind of rediscover who i was because back then i liked music but then certain things happened and i went down a path of substances and and kind of lost myself and it took me about eight years to uh, pick up the pieces and to f- discover if I actually had a voice in music because I knew I loved it but in life is complicated and sometimes you're sent down different paths than the one that you think you're supposed to be on and for me stepping away from music and then coming back to it and being reinformed by my peers and kind of the, the world in a way I was like I do have a voice and and music has helped me to to solidify that and and in a lot of ways it saved my yeah. life you know i was hanging out with a lot of a lot of my my town is a lot of gang members left from stony penitentiary to a lot of times they were supposed to go to winnipeg but winnipeg was getting cracked down by the rcmp so a lot of them moved to my hometown and and just started re- recruiting like um yeah, gang people, like just children basically to break into cars for them or sell drugs or get people hooked on drugs. And and that's the path that my life was going. And then music, my mom moved us and then bought me this 24-track Tascam machine. And that's kind of, that's where it saved my life because I was, and then it saved my life again. After when I was in drugs and stuff like that, I had to get out and I showed people my demos for Bleached Waves and they're like, dude, you got to move to Ontario and record this album. And and it saved my life again for a second time. You know, it's a bit of a cliche to say that music has, you know, saves your life. But I, I, I feel like in your in your case, it's very, very apt and uh, and true. Uh, it's not a cliche at all from what you're saying. And as yeah. I hear you sing, well, first of all, I want to say I'm heartened to hear that you are in a good place and you uh, managed to escape some bad places by the sounds of it. Uh, so, oh, yeah. Just as Honestly. a as a as a fan and as a person, I'm happy for you in that regard. And I when I hear you. the words you sing, and when I read the lyrics, I can kind of parse out that you know this is stuff that you're processing. Your past is something you're processing. Your family history is something you're processing. But mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I say this in a kind of superficial manner. If you can characterize. The lyrics, and by the way, I mean for those who haven't heard the record yet, I, it's not completely lyric based. There are some uh, instrumental uh, uh, aspects to the record as well, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, unless I'm yep. misspeaking, but I believe that's true. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, can you characterize what aspects uh, of your life, I suppose, you address on Bleached Waves, and and within that, maybe how processing those things and writing about them. And singing about them, and then applying a soundtrack to them. How has this helped you, so to speak, or has it helped you? So those are my kind of questions. Can you characterize mm. it in an overarching sense, and also discuss how even just articulating it may have helped you? I ask you this not just for yourself, but I think for younger musicians or people struggling. I do believe that writing things down, expressing yeah. yourself, uh, is the first step to really understanding what's going on in your mind. So, uh, sorry, I don't mean to put the burden on you, but can you address some of those things? Yeah, totally. I um, When I went to rehab in Vancouver, part of the, 
the counseling that I had to go through was to write down my story and things that I've gone through to help it as like a cathartic experience. Mm-hmm. And with that, I learned about myself and about my feelings and actually how I'm feeling. Because before I was kind of just emotionally flat and not very available. But when you when you write down your experiences and how you're feeling day to day, you start to become like self-aware. And to the point where you're like, you can really assess if, oh, am I feeling okay? Can I actually go for this walk with this friend right now? Or am I going through something right now? Mm-hmm. So it gives you an ability to just like diagnose yourself super quickly, you know, like, and with that, it helped me to... Um, yeah, just to articulate my my story and what I want to, you know, in the future write about. Because like when I was in rehab, I had I didn't want to do music at all. You know, I, I was in rehab. I was like, I walked away from it. And I told my mom that I wasn't going to come back into music until I felt like I had healed myself enough to step back into that very, because music very vulnerable. And if you're not ready, you know, it can like really um, trigger you talking about your traumas and your past things and it's been really interesting applying those skills that I learned in rehab into my music now a lot of the lyrics itself are um, memory collages Hmm. but each each song talks about specific time in my life and and, in like in vibrant colors um, vibrant colors the chorus I talk about memories always fade away and then the last line on the chorus is melodies always fade away or slip away. Yeah. And yeah. and in, in, in between there, there's two other lines too about like hearing someone's laughter. And, and another one was about someone going to sleep. Specifically, and, so, specifically someone named Natalie. Yeah, yeah. And I, I didn't want to give away uh, my grandparents' names or anything like that. And Natalie just... Uh, the word worked with the melody how I was singing but those those lines were about my grandparents who one had uh, schizophrenia and my grandma had brain cancer which led to dementia where she just like totally forgot about who I was and Mm. you know even thought I was breaking into her house one time because we showed up and I was the first person to walk through the door and you know and i never really processed that i never understood that i just thought that this is what happens when you get older and but my grandparents were very young and at least my grandma was very young to to pass on and so i never really processed that stuff and you know i used to have to take my grandpa's uh, schizophrenic pills to him every day and sit there and make sure he took them Mm. or else my mom said that he would have have one of his episodes you know and and there's times where we found him in a bfi bin with the things closed over top of him because he thought uh fbi informants were like listening to him and he just felt safe in this like big metal box where garbage was put into mm-hmm. and i just never understood any of that and i didn't realize how much it affected me as until i got older and they passed on and you know i i thought they didn't like me at all but i realized that they had these uh, internal things going on that were causing them to not really uh, live properly and beyond the beyond the sort of daily institutional racism that indigenous people face yeah. in Canada uh, is there a history in your family of I mean we've all become 
more aware of the residential school systems and the trauma that they have mm-hmm. inflicted upon uh, indigenous people in this country. Is there any of that in your family's history? Oh, yeah. My, my dad was a residential school survivor and mm. my auntie, my uncle, and, you know, my dad's passed on now. He he passed away just as the album was coming out and and I'm there's very, parts I'm of very, him. In, I'm, I'm very sorry to hear that. I, I'm, I'm sad for you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I know. I, uh, I really wanted him to hear the album and... Um, but there, there's other parts of it, you know, there's uh, the whole album. I just, it was basically, you know, in, in treatment, they say that uh, you're supposed to go through these stages of like writing down your experiences. And at the end of the process, you're supposed to like burn the paper or like let it go. And then, and then that's supposed to be the cathartic experience. And for me, I that's what Bleached Waves was. Bleached Waves was like me writing down all these thoughts and feelings and the things that were troubling me and then at the end of it 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 was a way of moving on and letting go of all these things that were necessarily bringing bring me pain right now in, instrumentally on this record do you play everything yeah i play about 90% of the instruments and the last 10 are just um i had a friend sing a melody on a part and then uh, a friend of mine did like some drumming, but oh, okay. uh, for the most part, for, but for the most part, I played the drums, guitars. There's not there's not many instruments on it because uh, I don't know if you read my bio, but um, I was very I was broke when yeah. I made this album. I had about like two hundred bucks. I had one guitar, one guitar amp, and one pedal, and and I just kind of like and a drum machine and. And I just kind of uh, made do with what I had. So, yeah, the, it was very just like what I could do in my room by myself kind of project. It's remarkable. It's a remarkably full and lush sounding record for one person to create, if I might say. I mean, it's yeah. So oh, congratulations you. on that. And again, you have no you, you were talking about. Um, I think I read somewhere that you heard Mellow Gold by Beck. You mentioned the Beach Boys mm-hmm. in a weird yeah. way, both. Uh, have this DIY uh, go for broke orchestration, you know, sound orchestration, if you will, sonic orchestration, not simply, you know, what we normally think of as orchestration, but like just lush, layered, multi-layered, scrappy sounding almost. I mean, the Beach Boys less so. Yeah. Obviously, the Beach Boys we associate with sort of a more uh, beautiful mm-hmm. sort of sound, a, a, a clean sound. Yeah. But at the same time, that's all coming smile from smile was very yeah yeah smile, yeah. smile the, the demo version that he first tried to take to columbia was like so lo-fi that's what i really fell in love with yeah yeah at least beach boy brian wilson was it capital it was capital records wasn't it oh capital yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, capital, sorry just sorry, yeah. major label uh fact check uh <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no i i yeah. I, I had the same sort of experience uh listening to Records like those, where the sounds are so bizarre and so full, uh, but but pleasing somehow to the ear, even the discordant stuff. And I, I'm guessing that coming from where you come from, those musical expressions are probably just as cathartic, if you will, just as therapeutic to make a big sort of racket to express yourself. Is that fair? Yeah, totally. It was like I was bringing in the powwow energy. You know, they say that when we're when we're doing the powwow and we're chanting like as loud as we can, it's because we're like 
we're embodying like almost like an infant where you're like you're you're the infant will cry to its parents to tell them that they're in need of something and when in my culture we're taught that when we're chanting and hitting the big drum is that we're we're kind of crying to the creator right. being like there there is something that we need help with or some kind of release and and that's how I approached this album I was just like this is like my powwow you know my contemporary powwow yeah it's interesting because we are uh, living in a, an age where uh, like electric powwow is is pretty prominent thanks to artists like A Tribe Called Red and, and others oh I and know. yeah of yeah. course uh, or sorry now they're called uh, the hallucination I should say hallucination, hallucination. right yeah. sorry so um, but they brought that element sort of the electronic music element to uh, indigenous expression yeah. Are, do you feel a bit anomalous as an indigenous artist making you know I guess we've called it I've heard it you know loosely as a genre signifier uh, your work has been associated with shoegaze although I've I've read mm-hmm. the term moccasin gaze. Is that right? Am I saying is that? <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. Some I I I didn't invent the name. Someone at a radio station just jokingly was like, "Oh yeah, moccasin gaze," and I was like, "I was like, oh yeah." I mean, I've been making this music for almost a decade or more than a decade. But, I, uh, I I hear I hear you cringing as you describe it or talk about it, and I had the same when I read that. I'm like, come on. That can't be. A thing. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm. I'm. Am I wrong to think like? Ugh, that no, seems a little. No, okay, no. you. You have the same sort of even feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I like. It was. It was more of a joke when I first said it to someone, like a press person. Yeah, and and I. I think when they wrote it down, they didn't put that I was just kidding around, yeah. and then it just kind of like took off that everyone is now calling it that. But I always have to remind people that I was like, well, you know. I'm an experimental artist. That's how I consider my music yeah. is because like this new one that I'm doing is totally different, not totally different, but like it's, you know, I'm writing string quartets for this new record. So it's like, it's very, very much different in my eyes. Yeah. So I just, it's hard when people categorize it as one thing cause then they're expecting that again. And, and I'm like, well, slow down. Like uh, I'm going to, I'm planning on having a long career full of like all different types of music. Yeah, I'm already excited to hear this new stuff you're working on. It sounds very interesting, uh, just the way you're describing it. So, and I'm already uh, captivated by by this particular record we're talking about uh, ostensibly today, Bleached Waves. Um, mm-hmm, thank you. But uh, I guess where I was coming from is there is a long, long history of uh, indigenous musicians making really remarkable music mm-hmm. in sort of rock, the rock idiom, if you will. Generally, mm-hmm. um, do you feel? like any kind of outlier in terms of this particular kind of sound? I mean, emanating from an indigenous perspective, I suppose. Uh, are there other artists like... Like, I think of Status Non-Status, for example, yeah. as a really heavy contemporary indigenous band, mm-hmm. uh, rock band. But uh, I can't think of... And forgive my ignorance, I can't think of too many artists who come from indigenous from an indigenous background making music like you are, but I'm sure I'm very wrong about this. Do you have other contemporaries making music in a similar vein? Um, I don't think so. I, I there you go. Okay, yeah. I'm not. I'm not an idiot. No. I just uh... <laughs> <laughs> no. I, and it, it was so funny because like I was uh, like I wrote this album in 2017, and and when then I got hooked up with Daryl Weeks from Paper Bag in 2018, and and I kept telling him I was like, you dude, it's like. 
they were super excited. They signed me within like a, an hour, uh, yeah. and after only listening to three of the songs and and but I told him I was like, guys, like I was like, I've been preparing for this album for a really long time, and I knew that I need to put it out because no one else is doing this right now. So like, you have to put it out right now, or else someone else will. And yeah. and and they didn't believe me, but but then like a few bands started kind of putting out what they would consider shoegaze music like other indigenous artists but i was like eh, like the reason why no one really paid attention to the records because some people just put reverb on their guitar and expect people to consider it shoegaze but i was like i knew yeah. that i was working on like this og sound uh shoegaze and then adding in my indigenous energy and instrumentations and then it when i put it out people definitely like could notice there was a difference between maybe status non-status and Nihayawak or something like that. Yeah, right, right. So one of the things that occurred when people started glomming onto the term electric powwow uh, was that people kind of figured out, well, wait a minute, this music, electronic music, electronica, techno music, if you will, seems to now, like it, it dawned on people like, oh, well, this comes from powwow. And, yeah. and they hadn't really figured that out before. Like, like a lot of things... In white culture, if you do some tracing, you'll figure out it comes from often indigenous African American, you know, mm-hmm. culture. Like that's what we discover every time we think we're onto something. I'm not white; I shouldn't lump myself in with them. But <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> every time you think you're onto something, you can yeah. find some something from the past uh, that was done by someone on, uh, who has been marginalized. Um, totally. So I guess what I'm getting at, though, like your music is so technologically based in a way. Uh, you know, amplification, distortion, mm-hmm. these sorts of things. Do you yeah. see a corollary between the kind of shoegaze, if you will, I, I'm, I'm air quoting here, the shoegaze music you're known for? Do you see a corollary between that, the waves of sound, with anything from more traditional indigenous culture? Yeah, maybe just the storytelling and... It's a yeah, weird I mean, one, right? Uh, it's a weird yeah. one, but I, I know in the in the oral storytelling tradition, in indigenous culture, uh, water, uh, water is a prominent motif, like running mm-hmm. water, waves, streams. I'm sorry if I'm drawing too fine a line here, but when you hear like sometimes when you hear like a traditional field recording, uh, if you if you get a chance to hear one someone will have thought you know let's do this by the water <laughs> let's yeah. let's have you tell this story about the water with a stream in the background or water in the mm-hmm. background again i'm reaching here and i forgive me if this sounds uh i don't know <laughs> cliche in any way but to me like shoegaze is all about waves of sound um yeah and, and just mm-hmm. like you feel like you're immersed in something uh totally. and when i think of some indigenous oral storytelling there is this sense of immersion in a mm-hmm. background like the ambience the atmosphere of the story is just as important as the narrative yeah. if you will sorry is yeah. this does this make nope. sense it does make sense yeah okay so maybe that's one thing again it's such a technologically the the electric powwow thing i think it was an easy way that was easy to kind of draw to powwow but your music yeah. uh, i mean as you've said your influences are Primarily Beach Boys, My Bloody Valentine, Beck. Mm-hmm. So so yeah. people making kind of louder, strange music, right? Yeah. Right. Okay. But do you feel like you are you could be part of a tradition and <laughs> coming from indigenous culture? Like do you feel like are you starting to hear of younger artists being like, Oh shit, 
I could do that. I didn't think of that. And I have things to say. Uh, is that oh, happening? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. As soon as I put my record out or even a year before to- when I was just touring Bleached Rays and didn't have a label, like a lot of indigenous people come to the show and they're just like, what? Like, I've never seen someone doing this type of music who is First Nations and like actually playing all the instruments and like like a lot of times it's like one indigenous guy and then a bunch of kind of white dudes with them recording with them but right every time i went to a new city and trying to get the indigenous community out they've always been like super inspired in it when when i put out the record and the stuff that i was talking about because i felt i feel like a, a big part of indigenous tradition is like healing Yes, and, and and that's that's like a big part of my message. I I owe it all to healing and the the process of healing. I learned how to live again, and through living, learning to live again, I learned how to just like channel that through my music. Cause right. If you listen to the stuff when I was making when I was using drugs, it was very lifeless. And now, when you listen to it, you can feel that it's authentic. The right. feelings, right. Okay, so the 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 project is called Zune, but that is sort of an yep. that's an abbreviation. What what does the name mean? The the name is Zune Gadiawan, and it w- it was a name that I was given to by an elder at a sweat ceremony a few years ago. And in the Seven Grandfathers teachings, there is Zune Gadiawan, and that's the the courage part of the the healing, and it means bravery. And it describes someone with, like, say, like, um, like a strong heart or a brave heart, and and it also means heart of the drum. I see. Okay, this name was given to you with the knowledge that you had overcome some personal obstacles. Is that fair? Actually, no. The name was given to me without any any knowledge about my background. Oh, it was like my first time being in a sweat ceremony in over like thirteen years, and. The person who gave it to me didn't know that I would. They knew they didn't know anything about my life really. Mm. They it was just um, we we spent two days together in this really intense environment, and at the end of it, I was given my name to me, mm. and it was just from their experience with me. And I didn't talk because you're not really supposed to be talking about like the outside world and your jobs and stuff. You're just supposed to be talking about like. Um, learning about the sacred fire and the the directions and why we build the sweat lodge and and stuff like that and yeah so I was, that's what i was given and and then my project before that like before zune was called zune it was bloom and but my friend from new york was like dude there's like 23,000 flower companies called bloom like mm-hmm. you got to change it man or else it's going to like you're going to get unnoticed once you start putting the stuff out on the internet and so then i was like oh well i think i might want to just use like my traditional name then so then i decide just to go with zune so psychologically what does it do to a person and in your case you (laughs) when you are ascribed such a name like how do you operate in the world so to speak yeah like because i'm in a new city people are like oh so what do you want to be called and Sometimes I'm like, yeah, you can call me D because soon Gadiawan is like the the part that means heart of the drama is Gadiawan and and there's just kind of a D in there that I like and it's kind of tied in with my real name Daniel, which my dad named me and yeah, people call me Daniel or Zune 
or D. And no, no, and I, I appreciate that. But what about for you? Like just the oh, notion of well, like to live up to a name when you're told what your name. Okay, here's an example. I was told at some point by my parents when I was young that my name meant great, like my full name Vishal in Hindi supposedly means great or big, uh, Mm. large. Although when I Googled it somewhat recently, I found out that it actually meant spacious. So I think they were lying to me. I'm spacious. (laughs) I'm, I, you could, I'm a, I'm an attractive apartment at this point. Uh, I'm not great or big. No, but I, when growing (laughs) up knowing that my name meant great, I don't really think I dwelled on it too much, but there's a little bit of pressure there when someone says, here's your name and what it means. So when you're kind of told this is what your name really means, or or rather why you've been named such a thing, something about you has inspired us to ascribe this name to you. How does that change you? Does that that change you? Yeah, I feel like because my dad and my family went to residential schools when they got out none of them were really traditional they never really spoke Korea or Ojibwe or talked about what clan they were from and they they just were very very traumatized and weren't very proud of where they came from and so when I was doing my healing process I discovered my the love for my my uh, indigenous background or Ojibwe background and so I started getting all of these pieces together for this puzzle of myself. And part of that was learning about what your spirit name was and and kind of reclaiming yeah. these things. And so for when, when I got it, I, I felt very proud. I felt very proud. And, and I believed in my heart that I did have a big heart because I, I was uh, now that I've gone through the system and came out, it's allowed me to be very empathetic. And yeah. And in a way, I'm able. I'm. I knew my music was is meant to like heal people, and I think that takes the courage to like be very vulnerable. And absolutely, no. I think it's a very you're aptly named, uh, if I might mm-hmm. say, based on your story. And uh, so, I, I think all of us who are following you now can appreciate why you are named <laughs> as such. Yeah. And. Uh, you seem to be living up to it. I mean, if you will. I mean, I don't mean to I apply so. pressure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> By the way, so when you perform live, as you mentioned, you did in Edmonton. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you have a band? How do you make this noise come to life and on a stage? Yeah, so I started hiring people to play with me, and I have two different lineups. I have one that's like really loud that I'm going to perform this weekend at with, and. Mm-hmm. That's about four people, and it's just like how the album sounds, you know, just kind of like a like a like live music and kind of like traditional sense. And then my other one is like I have a cello player and an ambient noise guitar player who plays, and then myself on acoustic. And it's just like we improvise and make noise and use bows on our guitars, and so it's a it's a little bit different. But um, but yeah, I have two different lineups, okay. and it all depends on the venue that I'm playing at. Okay, so you mentioned that you're working on this more ambient, uh, almost like a film score type style uh, album, I suppose. Um, yeah. So those are obviously part of your future plans. I, I often ask people, you know, what are your what's coming up next? And I as we yeah. enter uh, the fall and. Uh, some reopening, but also some uncertainty, I think, uh, because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Do you have 
plans per se? Like, what do you, by the time people hear this, your plans might have shifted, but what are your future plans as we're speaking today? Yeah, I have I have quite a bit coming out. I, I finished the second record um, during quarantine, and I'm working with Owen Pallet to arrange the string quartet for each song. And Oh, nice. And then I have Charles Spearin, who is uh, mixing it for me. Great. And Good people. Yeah, and <laughs> a mutual friend of ours, Kevin Drew, is going to be doing some post-production on it, too. Everyone you've and, cited is a, everyone you've cited thus far is a mutual friend of mine and, and yours. Yeah. So that's, it's exciting. That's great. <laughs> I know. It's really exciting. And then, and then when you were talking to Kevin the other month, uh, we were up there recording a brand new album with a status, non status, like Adam Sturgeon and yeah. him and myself. And we finished that. And I think we're going to be putting it out with uh, a label and that will be coming out in a month. So. Oh, holy um, cow. All right. Yeah, it's like the good old days where you just go in, make an album, then put it out. And, <laughs> and um, yeah, so I have a lot, you know, some film scores too coming up. And just trying to like stay busy and, you know, I'm trying to save for a house. So I'm just kind of take on everything so I can, <laughs> you know, make money. Yeah, no, I hear that. Well, congratulations on all your success. And also, as we're speaking, uh, congratulations on your Polaris Music Prize nomination as well. Uh, thank you, and I, thank I you. wish you the best of luck that night, uh, that day, I suppose. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, if people want to learn more about Zune, uh, Daniel, where would you send them per se? I would send them to my Instagram or my website, zoongodiwinmusic.com, and, and my Bandcamp if you want to buy direct merch from me. And, um, yeah, my Twitter is Zune Godiawin and my Facebook is Zune Music. Okay. So those are all the options. You're on everything. You got everything covered. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I have a YouTube channel too and like a TikTok, but, uh, I won't get into that. <laughs> okay. All right. And Bleach Waves is out, uh, now as we mentioned and people can find, did you say where we can find that? Yeah, you can buy directly from my my Bandcamp or Paper Bags website. And if you order now, the new vinyl, the new reprinting of the vinyl comes with my first EP that I wrote uh, about twelve years ago. Oh, and cool. it kind of it can give you an idea of the transformation from when I was just like recording little th- things at my house alone, and then to this kind of bleached ways where I recorded it totally alone again, but just with like a new sense of direction. Nice. Okay. Well, let's we'll we'll check that out for sure. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, if we could go out on a song from Bleached Waves, I wonder if you can pick one for us and also explain why it came to mind. Is that possible? Yeah, I would say I would like to leave with "Help Me Understand." That was the first song that I wrote for Bleached Waves when I was living in Vancouver, and it's about a story of a First Nations woman who was homeless living in Victoria and one of my kind of psychosis breakdowns I saw her in like a vision Mm. and it was her kind of uh, she would wasn't say anything but I could just understand what was going on and it was her kind of giving up not the will to live but the the giving up the the will to live in kind of a colonial state and accepting that if creator comes to get them right now that they're they're ready for that and when she accepts that, that's when a hole in the sun opens up and creator accepts them in and, 
in an indigenous tradition, we talk about like the sky portal and and how Creator will not physically come down and pick us up, but we'll just become one. Wow. Okay. And that was the story about Help Me Understand. Now, this song was at one point called Make Me Understand. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It was called Make Me Understand. But I just thought it was kind of weird telling people to make you understand. So I was, as I became more compassionate, I understand that humility, you say, like, you know, like, help me understand instead. It's it's interesting that that's the title, but I don't believe you utter any iteration of that phrase in the song. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, I don't I don't do that in any of my songs. Oh, the title is completely it's yeah. never mentioned. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. I never thought of that. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I've just purposeful? always done that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do I do that uh, on purpose since I started writing music. I always cringe when I hear people like add in the, the title of the song into one of the lyrics and it's just not something that I do. I think that every every aspect of the song has a story. And yeah. And my my album is about healing. So when people ask me about it, I tell them, help me understand, it comes from humility. Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay, well, let's let's hear it now. This is Help Me Understand from the uh, excellent uh, record by Zune called Bleach Waves, which is out now. And here it is. This is Help Me Understand. Daniel, this was a, a tremendous pleasure. Thank you for making time for me. And for, oh, thank uh, you. For, yeah, we got to catch up for the first time, and I really appreciate it. And I wish you the best of luck with everything in the future. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Bish. It was, it, it was, uh, yeah, I'm excited that we got to sit down and actually chat because, um, yeah, I, I like all the work that you're doing and I, I appreciate that you thought of me and, um, yeah, glad that it all worked out.
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Many, many thanks again to Daniel Monkman of Zune for appearing on this, the 635th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode that you're looking for or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit my website, vishkana.com. You can like Creative Control on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at vishcreative or follow me directly at vishkana. Oh, that's on Twitter and on Instagram, at Vishkana for both of those if you want. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to sustain this podcast. $6 or more a month grants you access to exclusive content. And if you're interested in receiving a creative control t-shirt, just message me on Patreon and I will get you one while supplies last. The supplies are lasting a long time. Don't worry about that. Maybe. Well, actually, I shouldn't say that. You're going to ask me for a size now, and then I'll go down and be like, what? I'm out of that size and color, sir, or madam, or person. Anyway, it's fine. Whatever. We'll figure it out. Thanks again to Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton for their in-kind support for this show. Thanks also to Jim Guthrie for lending me use some music of his on the show. You can learn more about Jim and his wide world of sports and music at jimguthrie.org. There's probably not a lot of sports. Although there's games. There's lots of video games. That's that's darn near an Olympic sport at this point. jimguthrie.org for more information. And finally, thank you for listening to this episode featuring uh, Zune. That was really uh, interesting for me. It was nice to connect with Daniel on this level. Uh, we've kind of known of each other for some time, so it was nice to finally connect. So thank you, Daniel. And thank you again for listening to this episode, subscribing to the podcast, telling your friends about the show and spreading the word about it. It all means a lot. And I will talk to you before too long. Very, very soon, in fact, I'm sure. Thanks again. Take care of yourself. Bye for now.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.